Welcome to Money on Tap. Money on Tap, your personal finance headquarters, where we bring out the professional's experience and some fun in what we call three-dimensional investing, utilizing insurance, brokerage, and fee-based planning. That's what we do on this show. We look at all sides of the issues, and we bring a fully independent planning perspective to the table. Welcome to Money on Tap. My name is Seth Crossman, And I'm Ben Brayshaw. You guys, what a show we have today. We cannot wait to get into this with you because uh, it is so, so far out of left field from what we typically hear most of the people chattering about these days. And so it's just a ton of fun for us to bring it. So we're we're going to be talking about 401ks. We're going to be talking about how these plans may no longer make much sense for savers. Uh, wait, wait. Did you say they're not going to make sense for us, Seth? Tell me that again. Uh, that's what I am saying. I am saying that the yes, it may not make sense. A four, how is it possible? Well, you got to hang around. You got to stick around to find out. So glad to have you aboard today. Uh, imagine your favorite landscape out there in the month of late August. That's where we're at today. And uh, yeah, hopefully you guys are enjoying some sunshine and you're finding some light in your life to, um, to you know, to shine into the darkness, right? Because there's, there's certainly opportunities to do that. We're going to do that here on Money on Tap. We're going to raise the bar. Ben's going to make you laugh a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to hopefully bring some things to the table for you today that you can take home with you and, uh, you know, have some dinner time discussion with the family and and your significant others to to think about your your situation. Where are you going to be in five years, ten years? Ben is walking away from me right now. He's out. He says, "Seth, you've taken this show in a completely different direction than I was going, and I'm out." But uh, I'm still here for you. You still here, Ben? You gonna come back? I'm here. I'm here. Oh, I, I oh, wanted whew. to get. I want to get Boy. some of my notes I had left over on the other table. So, I'm Boy, here. You, you really raised some of my abandonment issues there. <laughs> Just I can't even tell you. <laughs> uh, I was feeling so alone. So, we're gonna. <laughs> We might have to re-record this show just for, from just from the get-go, just so you you folks know. If you want to get a hold of us, if you're like, hey, these guys right now are making no sense, but eventually down the road, we're gonna have some fun. We're gonna bring some good stuff to the table. You're gonna we're gonna help you get on track with your money and your retirement, and that's a goal we have today. And hopefully, we make some we have some fun doing it. You're listening to Money on Tap. You can reach us at 855-226-8551 or info at yourmoneyontap.com. If you missed it that first time, uh, well, we have a podcast there. You can grab it, and we're going to say that a couple more times throughout the show. But before we do that, it is time for Money in the News. So, Seth, we have some big, big news coming in here Uh into our stock market, uh, the Wall Street Journal had an article: the S and P jumps, the S and P five hundred jumps to a new high, erasing the pandemic losses. Wow! 
That's uh, that's what probably everyone's saying. And we talked about this, you know, we talked about this last week in our show about how we believe that the market is going to continue to rise, that there's going to be this constant push because of a huge swing from the bond market to the equity market because of yield, because people are searching for yield. And uh, and that really has to do with the Fed having dropped rates. And what's interesting about this article, and that kind of brought it to light for me, is they actually talk a little bit about that in the article. And they they talk about how there is so much involvement in the movement of money that has risen this. I mean, there's this huge amount of people who actually sold way down in the market, like in the 20,000, low 20,000 Dow range. You know, they got out of the market. They're like, I can't deal with this anymore. And they're out. But where is all this money coming from? And they're actually citing how the bond market has really kind of started shifting to the equity side, looking for yield because with the bond market and the Fed having pushed rates down so low, it's it's becoming appealing. And that's it's definitely moving things forward. So this is an interesting thing for us to dive into right after we have a show on the S&P 500. And uh, we articulate some of the things that you probably didn't know about the S&P 500 that you should be aware of, really. I mean, how 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 much of the S&P is in 10 stocks, basically, was what we boiled that show down to. And people just don't even know that. It's good for you to have that in mind. But yeah, if you're getting nothing from your from your bond portfolio and there's a load of cash out there in bonds and the return, the dividend or the yield off of the S&P 500 is greater than that bond market. Ooh, I mean, a rational human being <laughs> says to me, I want that. Right. But do you want. But can you get? I mean, and this is professional. These are you know bond traders. These are market. They 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 get it. They're they're not emotionally tied to these returns and these yields. So it's it's a different person out there than the 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 original person that uh, Ben was articulating that got out around twenty thousand on the Dow. That's that is a retail investor. That's the majority of people that are out there uh, dealing with their four hundred one ks and you know trying to figure out how to retire. And that's you when you come to us and we have the conversation. This is how you do it. You don't do that because you will you will not be a person that's very happy in the long run. So, anyways, yeah, the 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 uh, the bond market coming into the mar- to to the other market, the equities market, right? Yeah. Well, when you have like forty trillion in the bond market and somewhere between twenty five and thirty trillion in the equities market and you're you're looking at these risks it's just kind of funny i was just wondering if the wall street journal Can you say those trillions again i just need to trillions, get that in. 40 trillion dollars in the bond market okay 25 to 30 trillion in the equities stock market mm. now if you if you're chasing yield and you are a, you're an investor on yield when even though stocks are riskier than bonds by their risk nature um when your yield is two or three times on one side versus the other, sometimes you want to take that risk. And, and I think that's what's happening. And that's what the article's alluding to. That's what I believe is going to happen on some level, which is why I've been talking about the Dow crossing 30,000, either fourth quarter or first quarter next year. And we're on pace for that. And I, we were saying that right in the middle of the pandemic. I really thought that this is going to happen. I, I think because of the yield and the, and the compression of rates, there's just really nowhere to go for money in, in return, and companies have to look for that. 
Ben, you you didn't just say that last week. As a matter of fact, you you said that three years ago, five years ago, uh, and and frankly, uh, yeah, it was, uh, some of it a little bit ahead of your time, really. And that's one of the things that uh, Ray Dalio, if you're familiar with the largest hedge fund in the world out there, uh, has had a couple of those moments in his career too. So congratulations to you. Thanks. The comparison has been made. Well, you know, after <laughs> after the after the stock market dropped thirty four percent from the February high to that March low, there was a lot of fear, a lot, a lot of fear, and that's when you know you that's I think that's when advisors of all sorts can be helpful because it, it just helps you see the forest through the trees, and just getting some perspective on what things are and what's going on. I mean, and we were, you know, we, we have, we were able to make allocation changes and adjust and we made purchases and types of assets we'd never owned before. And, you know, the market's up, we're up, things are good. The market's moving forward, but there's a lot of hesitancy in this world. And, and I mean, I know we are holding an 8% cash position in our managed portfolios. I mean, we're, we're concerned there's going to be a pullback on some level, but we also know that the, the equity market has a lot of steam behind it as people chase rates. Now, what happens to the bond market is what a lot of people are talking about. And, and we mentioned last week on the show, too, as a reminder, you know, there's a lot of foreign money coming into the U.S. looking for rates as negative yields exist outside this country. And so that's, a, that's an interesting thing. You know, the, not to spend too much time on this article, but I'm going to jump over to the opposite version of this article, which is our friend Warren Buffett. Do you want to take this one, Seth? I always want to take the uh, the Warren Buffett and run. Yeah, love Warren Buffett, our friend Warren Buffett, that uh, got into the business at the ripe age of 25 years. If you're not familiar with or never heard the name Warren Buffett, then... Um, there's not much we can yeah. do for you. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> so in 1956, he, he got his uh, his career going. with It was pulled together with a combined $100,000 from his mom, his sister, his aunt, his father-in-law, his brother-in-law. It kind of sounds like a, reti- like a financial planner in their early stages of their career, right? Yeah. Yeah. But – He invested in companies he believed was undervalued, and that's a value investor is what we call them today. Didn't charge a management fee from, you know, his uh, uh, seven partners, but enjoyed 25 percent of any gains beyond 6 percent return. So that was that was the model that he was going in with. But in his here's what's really the point here is in his second year, Buffett writes a letter to his stockholders, right, his his partners. Right. And he says, my view of the general market level is that it's priced above intrinsic value. The market's overvalued. This view, if accurate, carries with the possibility of substantial decline in all stock prices. It appears to me that the decline in stock prices has been considerably less than the decline in corporate earnings power under present business conditions. In any event, I think the probability is very slight that current market levels will be thought of as cheap five years from now. Okay, fast forward, Ben. This is crazy. I mean, <laughs> when you think about it, I mean, in 1969, he achieved an annual return of 24.5% after deducting his fee. So if you invested 100000 with Warren Buffett in 1957, it'd, it'd be worth today about $1.7 million. 
where the annual return of the Dow was for that period was like seven, like almost seven. And yeah, not percent. not today. That was the that was the time period that that nineteen fifty seven to nineteen sixty nine time period. If that was the investment that you made, yeah, yeah, amazing. This this is a pretty phenomenal scenario, and this is what has run the course. But what ended up happening with Buffett was that he became. Um, the chief executive of Berkshire Hathaway. Now, that's the company a lot of people know of. But what they didn't know was that it was just basically a textile manufacturing company that was poorly performing, and then ultimately he ended up investing in other companies uh, across the, across the you know, Wells Fargo, Fruit of Loom, Geico, Netja. I mean, he has owned so much stuff inside this company. And I think what's interesting about this is that no one industry or business is limited at its ability to return just in its own industry. And that's kind of what Warren Buffett did here. And I think when you really look at, at this whole thing, it's that, and the, and the reason for this article, the reason why I popped it up was that even Warren Buffett has always felt that the stock market's overvalued because people right now are looking at the stock market saying, Hey, the S and P 500 is all time high. And what do I do? Do I put my money in now? And that's the real million-dollar question. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what we're doing for people right now. We're putting some of their assets in and holding some in cash. We're not completely you know, investing 100% of all assets. But even in our managed portfolios, as I mentioned earlier, we're 8% in cash in those holdings because we ultimately know that pullbacks are inevitable in almost every market cycle. And folks, even though there's so much of this world that is doing well inside that a lot of the estimates are based on 2021 returns and what expectations are for next year. And that's where people are investing. Yeah. I love, uh, there's a part in Warren Buffett's career where he just about closes up shop, right? Calls it quits. Then, and I think of where we originally were at with the, the, you know, people jumping out of the market as the market took a dive in, you know, February through March. And in, in March, we were having these discussions about what was the market going to be like, right? So every investor has had that in, that in instinct to just roll it up and walk away. Uh, it's just too much for me to handle or I don't believe that there's an opportunity moving forward. But there's America, folks. And that's what Buffett comes back this year to say is do not bet against America. Wow, I get tingles when I think about that. I think that's where you have to be in this globe. So – our next article is from the Wall Street Journal, and this is interesting because I, this kind of has a very similar flair, and I, I really liked how all these pushed together well today. Simon, which you're talking about, Simon Property Group, which owns all the big malls in this country, the biggest U.S. mall owner shows two sides, innovator and traditionalist. Now, what they're talking about is that Simon um, Property is doing a couple different things. One is, is that they're engaging with Amazon about using some of their big box store retail locations, like where the JCPenney's would be located or whatever, Kohl's or, you know, whatever. That's, they want Amazon to make that a, a basically a distribution portion of their warehouse. And this is pretty interesting because Amazon's looking at that and saying, we can make this retail and warehouse space because they're, for people who have any background with Amazon, they don't just have like central warehouse space in the middle of the U.S. like a lot of companies do. They own lots of little warehouses so they can create this expedited delivery. What's really been conversation around this, because it's, this is, is this a problem? Because the big box stores are what have attracted a lot of people to 
coming to the mall. I mean, I think about it. You go to Best Buy, you go here, you go there. I mean, that's really where you end up saying, hey, I got to go to Best Buy and I'm going to run over there and you know, I'll get a smoothie here and I'll go to the Apple store. And they're saying that Amazon potentially is going to be the draw where you might go for retail or pick up your package just for same-day delivery. That's an interesting piece. But Simon's not limiting themselves, like Buffett had mentioned in that previous article, to one industry. Simon is in the it's in the middle of, I mean, they bought Aeropostale in 2016 out of bankruptcy, and that has been a successful transition. Um, they bought other companies as well, and then they've agreed to buy Brooks Brothers and, and a couple of other companies, I think, too. Right, Seth? Yeah. They, uh, gosh, what is it? J.C. Penney. You mentioned Aeropostale. Uh, Lucky Brand Jeans. There's been over 26 retailers that have filed for bankruptcy this far, so they're being restrained. And I think one of the things that I would applaud them on here is the like we the I'm, I hate hearing the term pivot anymore, but that's that's what it is. It's restructuring in their environment, and it's incredible. Like there's, I mean, Amazon is coming into this market. And they're doing so many things differently, like the curbside pickups or, you know, if you've ever returned anything to Amazon, you're, you know, have to, you know, have it picked up or drop off or any of those things. There's space in those malls now. I mean, the building's there. It's just fitting it for the purposes of what Amazon uses it or how they use it. And I, I mean, that to me almost looks like a match made in heaven, but a totally different design from what. I'm used to going to the mall during Christmas and, you know, looking for the Cinnabon right. or the I, Orange I, Julius. I think this is a genius idea. I think ultimately it's going to create more traffic than maybe a a primary store because you say, hey, you know what? I got to go and drop this package off. I want to try those jeans on. I'll just go there and do it so I don't have to worry about ordering and returning again. I mean, I can just see that all coming down. You know, this is interesting because this is just kind of a a rebuild of Simon Properties. I kind of, I, I kind of like it. I like it a, a lot in the way it's the thinking, the process. I can see it kind of coming together, and it's, it's some real potential. Amen, brother. I think that's it. That's going to do it for us. Money in the news. Hey, we're, we're going to come back here, and we're going to be talking about four hundred one k plans and how they may no longer make sense for somebody that's trying to save for retirement. And that is a mind-blowing thing for me. The words come out of my mouth, and I and I can't even believe that we're gonna we're we're gonna. That's the possible thing we're gonna talk about next. Matter of fact, it's not possible. I guarantee you. When we come back, we're gonna talk about four hundred one ks and how saving into them may not make sense. You're listening to Money on Tap. My name is Seth Crespin, and I'm here with Ben Brayshon. You can reach us at 855-226-8551 or info at yourmoneyontap.com. Hi, my name is Ben Brayshaw, one of the co-hosts of Money on Tap. If you have questions when it comes to your retirement and are looking for a personalized solution, contact us at Brayshaw Financial Group. In today's volatile stock market, we can help you plan to find your successful retirement solution. Am I saving enough? Am I saving into the right places? Do my investments match my appetite for risk? Do I have a tax strategy that is going to help me keep more of what I earn? How can I maximize my Social Security income? If you are like most people, you are getting closer and closer to your retirement and may be wondering if you're taking the right steps. If you're in retirement, you may be wondering, am I maximizing my income while preserving my estate and caring for my family? We talk about all things financial in what we call three-dimensional investing, putting a plan around your financial future. 
If you feel that now is the time to start getting the answers to some of these questions for your own situation, give us a call at Brayshaw Financial Group at 855-226-8551. Headquartered in Bedford, New Hampshire, we have offices throughout New England and across the country. We would love the opportunity to show you how we can help. There's absolutely no cost or obligation just to meet with us, and we welcome you to our office. Call us at 855-226-8551. Now back to Money on Tap with Ben and Seth. Welcome back. You're listening to Money on Tap. And uh, my name is Seth Crossman, And I'm Ben Brayshaw. And I'm going to tell you, Seth, I'm pretty excited for this, this portion of the show because we have conversations on 401ks all the time, every day, <laughs> with every person almost, okay? And so I want to make sure that we get some good distribution out there for 401k plan people who are doing that. And this would apply for people who are in 403Bs as well. Um, some 401As, some different codes that people may not have heard before. But if you heard those and they're familiar to you, you know, tune in. Um, but why why are these plans so complicated? And, and why are we suggesting potentially they may not make sense for you right now? And, you know, in 1978... The Revenue Act basically allowed the 401k plan to come about, okay? Um, There's debate about the 1974 Employee Retirement Income Security Act, and if you're a history buff, you can look all this stuff up, but that's where it came from. Now, when we talk about a 401k, we're referring to a defined contribution plan, okay? Now, the contribution is is that you are making a contribution, a defined amount that you can contribute. Now, a lot of people back then, back in the you know, 80s, had defined benefit plans, which are pension plans. It's a defined benefit that you'll receive in retirement. And that is something that we meet a lot of people that have you know, either a small pension plan, a defined benefit plan, you know, small this, small that. And they still exist, but they were tremendously burdensome for companies. They were a problem for a lot of companies because they, they couldn't manage them any better than they could do anything else. And they really said, you know, we need to focus on our business practice and not worry about these defined benefit plans because not only were they burdensome, but they were financially arduous of magnitude that you can't even understand. Because what would happen is, is that when the market didn't perform, not only did the company have to meet whatever percentage their actuary, their their math guy said, hey, you need to put this much in. If the market declined in an unexpected way, they had to come up with some of those losses as well to make sure that their defined benefit for you as the employee would still meet its number. Now, defined contribution plans with these 401ks and these retirement plans, they took a lot of the onus off of the companies, almost the entire onus, and put it on you as the average Joe even probably less qualified to manage the money than the company, but still just as difficult for everybody. Now, the company had, you know, basically said, we'll put the plan in place. And I, I have a conspiracy theory about this whole thing, Seth, and that's why Seth let me just kind of run with this. But I truly believe that it was like, hey, guys, you know, we're giving you this, you know, you know pension plan. It's only doing this, you know, 6 7% a year. But you could be making so much more money in the stock market. So we're going to open up this 401k plan for you. And, you know, you could be making some big money and buy, you know, really investments that, 
you know, we're being too conservative too. Truth is, is what was really going on was they were just removing that entire risk from the company's back numbers, and it made the company stronger and more financially viable. And now we have a bunch of people who are really unqualified to invest money, and it's not to their fault. They've never been trained. School education doesn't teach you about 401ks. It doesn't say, hey, these are, these are what these investments are. You know, it's, it's, it's complicated, and you start out, and there's not enough money for anyone really to manage it. So you get an 800 number that you get to call, and they tell you to mix it up between a, some stocks and bonds and basically mutual funds and ETFs and all these big words that no one really knows what they are for the most part. And you know, we have this now, this huge, massive, enormous amount of money in 401k plans in this country. Still, people have no real bearing on what they should do or how they should do it. In the 1980s, 401k plans made a lot of sense. They made a lot of sense because, you know, the marginal, we, we talk about this all the time, the marginal uh, federal income tax rate was 43% in 1980, where today that, that average in the same capacity is about 12%. And so when we talk to people, we say, hey, listen, you know, we're at such low tax brackets, and it's hard to believe that the 50s and 60s were at, you know, the top bracket was 80, 90%. But now our rates are so low, why would you put stuff away and defer its taxes if you think rates are going up? Now, if you think rates are going down, right, Seth, I mean, well, then, yeah, obviously putting money away in tax-deferred scenarios would be um, deferring the taxes till I can pay it at a lower rate. But if your rate is in the 12% range, not too bad. It's not. 12% is, in comparison, a, a huge discount. And uh, uh, there's a lot of other numbers and factors to consider in this conversation, for sure. Okay? And we're going we're gonna to do our best to, A, not completely alienate you. <laughs> And just, you know, anytime we talk about taxes, I know there's there's at least 50 percent of you out there that are just like, oh, shoot, here we go. Ben Seth talking about those taxes again. But we're we're definitely going to try to drive some of these numbers so that they're, they're relatable, they're understandable and that, you know, hopefully we 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 have the discussions that are important for you. OK. And there's other opinions out here as well. OK. And also I want to say there's, you know, it's a little bit of disclosure here too. Ben and I support. 401k plans in our practice, right? Because we have clients that have businesses and that's a part of the business world and the practice of us in financial planning is supporting our businesses and what is important for them. 401k plans, they have their place, they work, okay? We're not saying that. We support that and we believe that the 401k has its place, okay? And what we're gonna talk about, I think, and where we're gonna get back to is your place, potentially in understanding that relationship and how has this changed just like the defined benefit plan right or uh, uh changed or the uh the pension has changed i i was thinking about as you were ben as you were mentioning pensions i we've done a lot of shows on pensions and how they've changed and the challenges of pensions and the risk of pensions and you know the possible downfall of pensions and the but there's a, there's been a huge transition away from them um I don't know a pension out there that's really making it like th nobody writes an article or do we, there's nobody brought to our attention that we could say this is a pension that is meeting its obligations and it's doing really well. It's that got is more not... money than we ever expected. <laughs> right. <laughs> We've raised the benefits because the money's there to be able to do that. <laughs> that's a really good one, Seth. I like that sarcasm right there. 
yeah, I don't, I don't find that story. I'd, I'd love to be able to spin that one and, um, and have that conversation, but it's just not available. There's probably to a us. tiny, tiny one out there doing it, but yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. So, and, and these, uh, and these plans actually are, um, are still available. I mean, we, we still use them, but it's in, in, it's in a way that's appropriate. And usually there's, there's a cat, a, a massive catch up that needs to happen for the business owner in order to, you know, meet, meet their retirement needs. So anyways, um, so there's different versions of these tax, uh, the, t- the numbers that we're going to be talking about and some of the questions that we have, it's just not as simple as, uh, the tax rate at 1980 was X and the tax rate today is, you know, Y. And so I have those numbers for you, Seth. Yeah. Well, good, because <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to have to pass it back over here. I'll, I'll come up with the, 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 uh, the counter to the, uh, the argument here. But one of the things I love to think about here is what was a CD in 1980? What was that? Earn, what was it earning? What was a, you know, a, a savings uh, CD earning in 1980. It was 10% at least, right? I know we've talked about the specifics on these numbers. Google me this, Google me that. But it was, it was huge. The difference in, in what, what was going on at that time in the market was a, was a big difference. You got it, Ben? So the CD rates had plummeted in 1980 from 17.74% to 8.3% between March and June. Well, that's a story we don't talk about very often. I mean, we're, jeez. <laughs> that's a random question for you, Seth. Uh, <laughs> anyways, you know, Seth, what's really interesting about 1980, okay, is there was a lot going on, but the, the tax rates compared to 1980 and today are significantly different, right? The, yeah. t- the top tax bracket in 1980 was 70 it's 70 percent so if you made two hundred and fifteen thousand in 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 1980 it was a 70 percent tax rate if you made between thirty five thousand and forty five thousand roughly the tax rate was forty three percent okay well that's i mean forty three percent i mean our highest tax bracket right now i think is what thirty eight point six thirty seven officially but thirty eight point six mm-hmm I mean, that's our top tax bracket. I mean, it's almost twice that for the top tax bracket in 1980. Significantly different tax scenario there. Now, Seth, what I did, which was interesting, was I went to this, I went to this website, and I, I, I have no bearing to its validity, so I'm just going to say that, but it was just an interesting thing. I Googled historical calendars, uh, calculators to look at average inflation for... Um, the value of the dollar over time and how much income would be. So an inflation calculator, essentially. And to find out what $45,800, which is the highest bracket that this article had talked about that we had referenced that, that got us going into this whole, like, black hole of 401ks. And we said, hey, we need to talk to people about 401ks. But $45,800 today is $146,390. So it's almost it's like so, wait, 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 that was that was forty five thousand eight hundred in nineteen eighty, right? Is that what you're saying? Yep. If and if we were to if we were to drive that number to today, that would be what? One hundred and forty six thousand. One hundred and forty six thousand. 
So three, okay. three times, three times as much yeah. money. So, right. you know, I was playing around with that, and then I started looking at, okay, well, what would that equal in taxes, and, and how would that be? And when it came down to it, if you made 45800 in 1980, you'd pay 27.78% would be your effective rate or your average rate of tax that you'd pay. So a little over a quarter of that would go to taxes. So over mm-hmm. you know twelve grand. Okay. In today's dollars, at one hundred forty six thousand, you'd only pay sixteen point two five percent in taxes, significantly lower. That's one hundred forty six thousand dollars is a lot of income. Yeah, it is. And I mean, these are these are a these are kind of straight across the board numbers, right? We're right. talking about a direct line of correlation here. Uh, this isn't taking into account, you know, how many kids do you have or, you know, any of those other factors that, that, which would only lower your taxes today. Is that what that, is that how yeah. that works? Yeah. It's going to lower. I got to get another one of those. I got to get no, something No more else kids. In. I did that. <laughs> I love the ones they, I have. <laughs> I think the government cut you off. They're, they're but not the, going to give you any more benefits. But when you think about the fact that, you know, here we're in a lower tax bracket, no matter how you do the math is really the point here. The point okay. is, is that if in 1980 versus today, your percentage of taxes is lower. And if you're putting money away in a 401k to not pay taxes to get that deduction, meaning I don't want to pay taxes today at a lower value than it was 40 years ago, I'm not really a believer that tax rates are going to stay the same or go down. I ask that to people all the time. I mean, we say that, right, Seth? I mean, we're like, so do you think tax rates are going to stay the same or go down over the next 20 years? Most people say, I think they're going to go up. And I'm sure the majority of our listeners are. And so if you're putting money away and not paying taxes at 12 or 15 or 20 percent, and you think taxes are going to go up, why are you deferring it to pay taxes on that money at maybe 25, 30, or 40 percent? That's the question that we're going to come back with. Why? Are you deferring your taxes? If you're currently paying less in taxes now than hypothetically you could in the future, why do that today? You're listening to Money on Tap. We're going to take a quick break. You can reach us at 855-226-8551 or info at yourmoneyontap.com. Hi, my name is Seth Crossman, partner with Brayshaw Financial Group and one of the co-hosts of Money on Tap. One of the biggest concerns and largest expenses people face today is taxes. Without thoughtful planning, taxes can destroy future retirement dollars, eliminating the possibility of a timely retirement or dreams of what you want retirement to look like. If you're like most people, you're getting closer and closer to retirement, and you may be wondering if you're taking the right steps. Will my income be enough? Will rising taxes force me to give up my dreams? How does inflation factor into all of this? These are real concerns and you're not alone. Putting a plan around your financial future is what we do. If you have questions when it comes to your financial security, and if you're looking for a personalized solution, contact us at Brayshaw Financial Group, 855-226-8551. It's time for you to start getting answers to your questions. Headquartered in Bedford, New Hampshire, Brayshaw Financial has offices across the country. We'd love the opportunity to show you how we can help. There's absolutely no cost or obligation to meet with us. Call us at 855-226-8551. 855-226-8551. Now back to Money on Tap with Ben and Seth. Welcome back. You're listening to Money on Tap. 
You can reach us at 855-226-8551 or info at yourmoneyontap.com. We are talking about today the 401k plans. They may no longer make sense for savers. I like the word useless. I'm just kidding. kidding. You know, we we are referencing an article here from um, Bloomberg, okay, by Aaron Brown. It was kind of what uh, what brought to attention and and this article, but it was by no means the first time that Ben and I sat down and had this conversation or have had this discussion with clients um, because it's it's important to understand how and why you're saving your money. Where are you putting it right now? OK, and why? That's 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 what we're trying to understand. And in, in taxes, in driving through that tax scenario that Ben has uh, already articulated, which I'll go ahead and mention again here, is in 1980, if you had $45,800, right, and there was a uh, 43% tax bracket, that was the uh, marginal tax bracket at that time, effective tax bracket was around 27.78%, okay? Today, drive those numbers forward, what would that income equal? 146390 a 22% marginal tax bracket today, and 16.25% effective tax bracket, okay? So significantly less in taxes today. And one of the things, and why I, I, reiter- I go back to this, is because uh, as you're making those contributions towards that 401k, one of the sig- original significant values that was there, and this is the concept that we still are, had this idea that we're still working from, is I will save today, not pay taxes today, and in the future, when my income is probably less than it is currently, I will be paying less in taxes in retirement. And that's very possible. We're not at all disputing that your income is going to be less in retirement than it is today. That's possible. Or that you might be paying because of that income being less, you might be paying less based off of your income uh, in retirement. But what we're talking about here is that there was a really sizable tax incentive to be saving into a 401k. And based off of that, just the tax bracket alone, the, uh, the, Effective tax rates alone of 27.78% that you would be getting that discount into your 401k contributions off the top. Uh, that's how that would work in your your income versus the 16.25%. That's that's a savings right there of 11%. Yeah, I look at this as like telling people that, you know, if you put your money back in in 1980, you put, you know, you know $1,000 into your 401k. $250 of that plus was the government's money. Where today, if you put $1,000 in, only you know $160 of that's the government's money. It's a big difference. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's still considerable savings. But when you think about if the government raises taxes to 40% or 50%, you know, it's, if you take $1,000 out, you may only get to keep $500. Well, if you paid the taxes today, you get to, you know, keep $840 of it, you know, versus the 500. Now, we're talking about, hey, you're going to make money and so forth on that, and it's tax deferred, and there's some return in that, but not nearly the same as it used to be. 
the uh, the article that we had found, you know, which was going to be a Money in the News article, which really triggered the conversation that we talk to people all the time. I'm going to reference a couple of its numbers. I don't know the entire validity of it, but it talked about in 1980 that the 401k equivalent to an additional investment return was 9.2% a year. I mean, that was a significant increase in opportunity right there. Now, they said fast forwarding to today that that benefit only comes out to about 0.6, okay, which is basically immeasurable compared to the fact that 401ks usually cost more than like a traditional IRA or with all the low cost investment strategies you have. 401ks back in the 80s and 90s, I mean, they had investment opportunities that were not really all that public. Public. I mean, you had a you had a number of different opportunities that were unique and special, and it gave you a larger breadth of the market without having to worry about individual stocks. That stuff is available to almost any investor today, and they're super low cost, and it's it's made 401ks in some scenarios super expensive. Well, originally those the three and a half percent that they were going to be charging either in or out of those 401ks on the the fee side. Boy, that's no longer there in most cases. In most cases, they're not. But you could be in a 401k that still has a pretty high fee structure, and, and a lot of people don't even know. Oh, yeah, because, you know, I'm, I'm going to choose the large cap uh, allocation over here, mid cap allo- allocation over there, because I look at mid cap uh, two years ago and it was, you know, it, it went through the roof. And so why wouldn't I want to own that asset? But the, the management fee on top of that could be, you know, two, three percent if you're not paying attention to that. One thing I was going to say, Seth, is that there's a couple things that are causing people really to reconsider a 401ks. And it has a lot to do with the fact that it's not just the income tax rates and so forth. It's the capital gains rate. You know, the the capital gains rate, tax rate in, tw- in 1980 was like 28%, the long-term cap gains rate. Today, if you make under $80,000, it's zero Right. It's zero. So you could buy equities, make a bunch of money in them, and as long as your income's below 80 grand in retirement or wherever you're at, you can just collect that money tax free, where before you were at 28%. So it was a big hit. And honestly, that's higher than the marginal rate is for 80,000, which is 22%, that capital, old capital gains rate. So there's a lot of arguments around not investing in. 401ks or 403bs um, because of the various different types of movements. Now, for a lot of people who are listening, Seth, I, I know that people's heads are spinning a little bit and saying, what are you talking about? Like these these tax rates and all this. These are movements that financial planners do across the board, whether it's us or someone else. They're doing automatically. They're telling you, hey, these are the pros and cons. This is what we should do. This is how we should do it. This is, the, this is how long you should hold something. These are the kind of the automatics that are in our background, you know, looking at capital gains rates and trying to mitigate some of these taxes. But, you know, today, you know, the, the tax rate, you know, of that kind of that 12% range, which is what you're going to be, that's the marginal bracket you're going to be in up to $80,250. You know, that's that's a really, really low bracket. I mean, you've got another, you know, 88% to go up in the tax bracket world. And when you look back in the 1950s and 60s when the top tax bracket was in the 90% range, and that's hard to believe, but you can go back and Google it yourself, 
I think it was 92% was the highest tax bracket we've had. And you look at that and you say, could we ever get there again? And, and I say, yes, I absolutely believe we can get there again. And I think the one thing that could catapult us well over the 50% range would be a real true national health care system. Now, whether you're for that or against it is almost irrelevant. It's it's if we had that, we would probably see that because I think the lowest tax bracket in the European realm that has a national health care system is a 53% was the last I had checked. And, you know, so those are real issues that we face long term. So there's a lot more to offer today, okay, uh, in comparison to 1980, that's for sure. Most popular investment strategies out there today, hard to find them if they're still intact, okay? For one, the fee structures have come down. Uh, the tax code has changed. And one of the things that we talk about is kind of like real estate a lot of the time is location, 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 right? This is a location. And inside of the location, you have some different places that you can put your money. So there's different locations inside of the 401k. What is the first thing that we're going to say if you have a 401k in front of you, 403 and b in front of you, what is the first thing that we're going to take a look at and say, well, what what does the offer look like? Because they're going to make you an offer to get your money in the door, okay? Most of the time, that's going to be what we what we consider free money. And uh, in any time, <laughs> well, this doesn't, I mean, we're not talking about the prince from Nigeria here. We're not talking about that kind of free money, folks. We're talking about, you know, the Well, you the got three... that email too, Seth? I thought I was the only one. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still waiting? <laughs> Are you still waiting for your, your money to show up? Yeah, I gave him all my money, and he said he was going to give me back tenfold. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Lord help us. <laughs> so free money. I, I mean, order of operations, everybody's kind of got the filter. we got to run things through, and that's the first thing we're going to say. Hey, do you, do you have access to free money out there? Because that's that's a bonus. Yeah, that free money is is the match that that match from your employer. It's it's a it's a raise that you only collect if you contribute usually. And there's all sorts of metrics around. Some are dollar for dollar match up to three or four or six percent, and some are yet you know will match a quarter percent for every percent you put in up to four. I mean, there's there's all little different metrics, and we can do math around those those things. But we usually encourage people immediately um, to take advantage of the match. If you don't have a match, there's usually other opportunities we're, we're talking about or considering because of the tax codes and where we're at today, because locking in other opportunities is, are, are good. And, and one of those is the Roth side. You know, one of the things that we talk to people about is, hey, is a Roth IRA a possibility, or does your 401k offer a Roth component to it so that you could say, hey, I'll, I'll do this with the match into the Roth side because my tax brackets are in my opinion, low, and, and that's what I want to do. Those are the different things that exist out there, and, and that is our one number one reason for ever encouraging someone to do a 401k. The other time we would encourage is is sometimes there are opportunities that people are looking for, which is like loans. Like people say, you know, I might need a loan out of this for something, and, you know, 401k will allow you the potential to do like a $50,000 loan out of it. So we'll tell people, hey, listen, you know, that might be the best place to be able to contribute and then borrow from and pay back. Not that we like to encourage people taking loans from their retirement plans, but you can do it there um, with a lot more flexibility that you can't do elsewhere. But I think, Seth, if I were to get into the political realm of this, and I know we're wrapping up the show, we only got about another 60, 120 seconds left here, but... Um, 
I would say that there's there's one thing we need to do. Our government needs to make employer-sponsored plans a little more tax-friendly. They need to create tax opportunity. And this article was the reason why it, it made the top of the list, was it talked about a lot of the things that are kind of looming in the background around, you know, whether making the gains on retirement plans tax-free like a Roth or creating some component to make the 401ks a much more attractive again because they have lost a lot of their appeal. Yeah, given a current tax rates and opportunities, right, for non-qualified assets outside of the 401k to potentially be better performers in the long run and to offer diversification, again, that location that we talk about uh, in your in your strategy, what is it that's going to keep you engaged in the 401k and, and that being the primary solution to your retirement. And I, I love what you had to say there. There needs to be something, there needs to be more inside of the code that allows for the investor to um, have a better outcome. And taxes really strips away a ton of that opportunity if um, if not done or looked at with you know, understanding. You know, I look back at some of the mistakes I've made in this industry and, and one of them probably in the early years was just taking for granted and not really evaluating the math behind 401k contributions and telling people, yeah, max out your 401k. And taxes have gone down over the last number of years that I've been in business, you know, but truly there are opportunities that, you know, people could have expanded upon in a lot of ways. And that's, this is one of those things that people really need to evaluate whether it makes sense for them. Now in four years, if, if there's a regime change here, we could be telling you something completely different and say, nope, max it out because taxes are back, folks. And uh, hopefully that's, you know, anyways, that's a <laughs> that's one perspective. <laughs> hey, you guys, it's been so much fun, hasn't it? It has. Ben is now, it has. It has. Ben, you're not going to get up and walk away from me again, are you? You going to stick around? No, I'm here. I'm here for the long All time, right. Seth. <laughs> uh, we've been having fun with you guys, and we appreciate you so much for sticking around. If you are asking yourself the question, what am I going to do in retirement? How am I going to retire successfully? Give us a call. You can reach us at 855-226-8551 or info at yourmoneyontap.com. We'd love an opportunity to come alongside you and uh, see how you can make retirement a reality. It's a big deal, folks. We take it very seriously and we appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you so much. There are a lot of pieces to helping our aging parents in the final chapters of their lives. On this Cliff Notes edition of Money on Tap, Seth and Ben look at the importance of addressing our parents' finances, something that needs to be handled with a certain amount of urgency. Financial conversation can can be one of those bridges that just takes more time from, than maybe some of the others to really cross. So, uh, you know, whether there's medical needs or immediate right now or in the future, Really just being aware of the finances here is what we're trying to talk about is trying to just, you know, think about what it is that your parents are doing and how they are engaging in their finances. Is it a checkbook? Is Are they online? Are they using, you know, credit cards? How many do they have? Uh, how how they operate around their finances is even just a conversation possibly that, that can introduce this uh, and, and help that conversation move forward. Absolutely. And I think, you know, um, you know, the interesting story too, I had um, in, in that 
that scenario, just just an example, you know, we, there was a health change, an event. People said, hey, we want to come in. We want you to meet with our son and or, and or daughter. And everything was, you know, it was a little bit of heart concern there. Some kind of stuff had popped up and everyone was aware. Now things have kind of settled down and things are a little better. Not perfect, but better. And they're like, you know, we're going to try to do this stuff over the next six to nine months. So what happened to, we want to meet with you next week, it'll turn into nine months. And I'm I'm talking to them, I'm like, listen, this is not an overnight decision. These are not overnight issues to address. They take months to address. So nine months from now, if we sit down, it's not going to be like flicking a light switch from, you know, off Mm -hmm. to on. Um, there's a process and there's a lot of work behind that. And I said, you still want to move with urgency and some of the stuff they want to do, they want to put into a trust and it's complicated and they want to, you know, they want to protect some assets and they need it. They need a clock to start to start. And I said, listen, if you're going to do that trust, you know, you have a five year clock. This is what they needed to do. And I said, if you wait nine months, now you have a five year, nine month clock, but you still haven't even had any time to get with the attorney and write the trust and make sure that's correct. So that might be, so now you got a six year clock. You need to get that clock moving as soon as possible. And, and trying to explain urgency around making these decisions is really important because financials are usually the number one thing I find that people do not want to let go of. They do not want to hand that over to the kids. They don't want their kids telling them what they can spend or buy or do. (laughs) they, They think that's all about what this is and it's not. Yeah, making sure that you're documenting what's going on there. Um, I've seen a lot of people kind of create a worksheet or, uh, you know, just kind of like an inventory, really, of all the different things that are going on, Medicare, long-term care policies, all these different policies, life policies that can be out there. Have a list for who your accountant, your attorney, your CPA, you know. All All in one place, easy. You know, and what we do is we provide a listing. We we provide online access. We provide, you know, documentation for a complete list of assets depending on the person's scenario. But we've done that for attorneys, for accountants, for people's kids. We encourage people to bring their kids into our office. We want them for two reasons. One, we want them to know what their parents own, why they own it, okay, and what the purpose of it is. Because after... You know, after a plan's been put in place, having kids come in to evaluate a plan and figure out whether they think it's good, bad, or indifferent makes things much more messy than trying to understand why they went into this initially. And I really always encourage that. And I know Seth does mm-hmm. too. So, Thanks for joining us for this Cliff Notes edition of Money on Tap with great tips from the pros in three-dimensional investing, utilizing insurance, brokerage, and fee-based planning. Thanks for joining us today. You've been listening to Money on Tap. You can reach us at 855-226-8551 or info at yourmoneyontap.com. Also, we're in a podcast. You can find us at any of the podcast venues out there. We appreciate the likes and the listens. We're also at Facebook at backslash 3D investing and Twitter at BFG underscore LLC. We appreciate you joining us here today and we hope you make it a great day and a great life. Thanks for joining us with Money on Tap. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of this radio station and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. No strategy, product, material, or tool mentioned can assure a profit or protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information, products, materials, or tools mentioned should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. 
growth. This show may be subsidized in whole or in part by a product sponsor or issuer. Securities and advisory services offered through SagePoint Financial Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, and a registered investment advisor. All other services offered through Brayshaw Financial Group, LLC, are independent of SagePoint Financial. SagePoint Financial and Brayshaw Financial Group do not provide tax or legal advice. Main office is located at 116 South River Road, Bedford, New Hampshire, 03110 and can be reached at toll free 855-226-8551.